Join me, please, in opening your Bibles to the 8th Psalm. When Amy and I were in our early years of dating, her family took a cross-country trip. They had it all planned out. They took their travel van, and they traveled to national parks and campgrounds from here to California and back. And they were supposed to be gone for four weeks. And while they were gone, I was attending a Rick Barnes basketball camp at Providence College. So I went through my uh, week of basketball camp, and my father came to pick me up at pickup time, and there was a surprise visitor in the car. Amy had come home a week early, uh, which was uh, overwhelming to me. I was so surprised at her early arrival that the first 30 minutes that we were all together, I, I didn't say anything. I was like, didn't, I was dumbfounded. I, I'll never forget how, how foolish I felt that I didn't have anything to say, uh, but I was, I was, I think, awestruck-stricken. That's got to be it. Awe-stricken. Still am. I might stop every now and then and just look at her. At any rate, um, some visits are better than others. Uh, we've all had the other kinds of visit where someone showed up unexpectedly and we were not as overjoyed that they were there. So uh, you've had these ups and downs Uh, with me. This morning, as we read God's Word and study God's Word, we want to talk about the best visit ever. The best visit ever. Um, The visitor that we're talking about is the creator of an intricate, expansive universe. This is the one that came to visit. The one that spoke into existence every star, every planet, every molecule, everything. This one visited us. Take a look with me, please, at Psalm 8. It was already read for us once. We'll read it again. Psalm 8, beginning in verse 1, a psalm of David. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth! You have set Your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants You have established strength because of Your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at Your heavens, the work of Your fingers, the moon and the stars which You have set in place, what is man that You are mindful of him? And the Son of Man that You care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned Him with glory and honor. You have given Him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. In verses 1-3, through we recognize God's majestic power being on display through His creation. We're familiar with the fact that the Bible speaks in other locations about the majesty of God on display through His creative works. We learn about our glorious God through the things He has made. Like Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. God is on display through the things He has made. In Romans chapter 1, which we studied 
uh, several months back, we see this statement from the Apostle Paul. For his, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they, all mankind, are without excuse. God is on display through the things he has made. You look at a, a, a mountain scene or a valley scene. You look at the, the ocean uh, rolling in. You go to a, a calm lake. All of these things are things that God has made. And they, they tell us a bit about His beauty. They tell us a bit about His wisdom. And they certainly tell us about His creative power. These things teach us about who God is. All of this work that we uh, observe in God's created world have been accomplished through the powerful... Word of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. He spoke the world into existence. Through through a word, these things came to be. It's wonderful to understand just how powerful God's Word is. He spoke it all into existence. And as powerful and glorious as our God is as Creator, it should amaze you, and it should amaze me, that He cares for us. He cares for you. He cares for me. It, it is breathtaking. This morning, as we study through Psalm 8 briefly, in recognition of the Lord Jesus coming as a, a baby, we want to recognize that our hearts should rejoice in a majestic God, this majestic God who cares for us who provides salvation for us, and who dwells with us. I think this passage will make these truths clearly seen. And I want for you and for me to rejoice in this God that cares for us this way. First of all, our God cares for us. We see this starting in verse 4. Verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him. What is man that you are mindful of him? God cares for us. The word mindful comes from the Hebrew term zakar. It means to remember. To remember. And I want for us to remember a few passages of Scripture to help us to drive this point home that God, with all of his responsibilities, with all of his care over all of his created universe, remembers people like me. And remembers people like you. Take a look at Exodus chapter 2 just for a moment. Exodus chapter 2. This is one of the most encouraging verses of Scripture that I have come across. Like I've read you know, God's Word uh, many times and I read God's Word regularly and I study God's Word. I'm telling you, ver- verses 23 through 25 of Exodus chapter 2 make my heart sing. Now, you don't want to hear my mouth sing because you probably would, would have to block your ears. But, but it makes my heart sing, so I can let that go. I can let my heart sing and you don't have to be tortured by it. Exodus chapter 2, look at verses 23 and following. It says, During those many days, the, uh, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Stop right there for a moment. So... The people had gone over to Egypt when there was uh, a a lack of food in their homeland. They went to Egypt where Joseph was. He had stored all those uh, 
storehouses of grain. He gave them, the, the king of Egypt, the emperor of Egypt, the, the pharaoh of Egypt, gave, of Egypt gave them the land of Goshen. They were there. Everything was going fine. And then the king that knew Joseph died. A new king arises, a new pharaoh. And they think, all right, well, these people are going to overtake us. And so there's slavery that's coming upon the people of Israel. The people of Israel are, are bothered by this, tortured by this, suppressed by this. And they cry out to God. Verse 23, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God, what does that next word say? Remembered. That's Zakar. God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. Will you read the last three words with me? And God knew. He heard the cry. He remembered the covenant. And God knew. He knew their sorrow. He knew their pain. He knew their need. They cried out. God heard, remembered, and He knew. This is glorious. Of all of the vast resources, all of the vast responsibilities, all the things that God is doing, and He remembers this group of people, and He cares for this group of people, and He, he knows their sorrows, their pains, their needs. God cares for us. In Psalm 139, in verses 15 and following, the psalmist writes, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your, what does it say? Thoughts, O oh God, and how vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. God is with us from the, the embryonic stage all the way to the end of our lives. And God's thoughts toward us are innumerable. God knows. God cares. God understands is what God's Word tells us. And so we have a, a, a call in the New Testament for those that are struggling. There's all kinds of uh, difficulty, turmoil all around them. The world is giving them turmoil. They have turmoil within. There's turmoil all around them. And God says, cast all your care on Me. Why would I do that? Because I know something. He cares for Me. Cast all your cares on Me for He or on Him for He cares for you. That's what the Bible tells us. God cares for you. He cares for Me. You, don't, you and I don't want to be like Jesus' disciples. Remember, remember they were on the boat with Jesus? They were, they were going across the sea and a storm whips up and Jesus is asleep and they wake Him up and they say, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're perishing? Is that, is that your mindset toward, toward this heavenly being? God, don't, don't you care? Don't you know I've been suffering for however many days, however many weeks, however many months, however many years. I've been suffering. Don't you know? Don't you care? 
Do you have that question in your mind? The Bible tells us that God cares for us. And you know, not only does He care specifically for His people, that's very clear, God cares for His people. He loves us and loved us even before we knew Him. We know from Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 this glorious truth. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, what does it say? Christ died for us. That is care at its, at its utmost. God cares for us. In God's care, He does something about our difficulties. He is not just empathetic. Empathy is good, right? You like it when someone is empathetic with you. You're going through something difficult. They say, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. And, and you know, I feel with you in your sorrow. I feel with you in your suffering. We, we like empathy. But God doesn't just show us empathy. God provides. He is Jehovah Jireh. God provides. He's the God who provides. Look back at Psalm 8 again. Psalm 8, we talk in the first three verses about God's glorious creation. As you come to verse 4, in light of that glorious creation, God's majesty and His glory, in light of that creation, who, what is man that you should, should be mindful of Him? What is man that you should be mindful of him? And then, the second half of the verse, and the Son of Man that you care for him. The Son of Man that you care for him. Now, there's the, the Hebrew word there for care is pakad, and it means to visit. To visit. I much prefer this to read this way. And the Son of Man that you visit him. There are some translations, but that's how it's translated. And I think it's a way better translation, honestly. The care part is in the mindful section of the verse. The second part of the verse is really God providing. Now, with a visit from God, if you look at all the verses of Scripture that, that pakad is used in, this, this word visit, um, some usages of this visit are God visiting for judgment. There are some visits where God is coming to deal with some problem. And then there are other visits that God is coming to provide. And that's the idea in Psalm 8, is that God, in being mindful of us, provides something for us. He provides a care visit for us. With that being said, I want you to turn with me, please, to, to Genesis 21. Genesis 21, just for a moment. A couple of verses in Genesis that we want to highlight here with this idea of God's visitation. The same word, pakad, is used in these verses that we're going to reference. And I think it will help us to get an, an idea of what God is telling us. This majestic, glorious Lord. Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the personal Yahweh name for God. And then it says, our Lord Adonai, that's God's Lordship. This personal Lord God of ours that is majestic in all the earth. He's deserving of worship and glory. He has made all that we've seen. He is mindful of us and He visits us. Here in Genesis 21, beginning in verse 1, look at what God's Word says. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, 
at the time of which God had spoken to him. So what do we see here? God visits and provides, right? What is he providing? The, the promise that God had made to Abraham back in Genesis 12, 15, and etc. God is coming through on that prophet, promise by making a special providing visit. Take a look now at Genesis 50. Genesis 50. We come to the end of Genesis. You remember that Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house. He ends up in prison. He, Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph interprets the dream. Joseph ends up as uh, second in command to Pharaoh. Everyone's coming to, 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 to Egypt to get their provisions so they can survive. Joseph's brothers come. Eventually, after this, on the second trip, uh, Joseph reveals himself to them. The people of Jacob, the people of Israel come and they make their home in the land of Goshen. Jacob, Joseph's dad, dies. The brothers are quaking in their boots because they're thinking, this powerful guy... We sold into slavery. Things went just the way he said. Now we're in trouble. And Joseph says, I'm not in the place of God. God has brought about much good through this. You have nothing to worry about. And then as we come to the end of this book, look at verses 24 and 25. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will, what does it say? Visit you. God will visit you. When He visits you, He's going to bring you up out of this land to the land that He swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up My bones from here. What does He mean? God's going to visit. He's going to come and He's going to do something. God is coming and He's going to provide something. He's going to provide what He promised. The same concept comes up in the book of Ruth. Remember Ruth? Um, you have uh, Naomi and their family. There's a, a plague that takes place in, in the land of promise. And as a result of that, Naomi and her family leave. They go off to Moab. Naomi's husband and two boys die. Naomi says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. But why? Why? Look at verse 6. It'll be on the screen here. Ruth 1.6 Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. Visited. Visited. It means God is coming to provide something. He provided for Sarah, a child. He was going to provide for the people of Israel a return to the land. Here in Ruth, the concept is God is going to provide the food that you need. The same thing comes up in 1 Samuel 2.21 where God provides for Hannah. It says, indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So we have this visit, visit, visit. And with these visits, God giving something. Well, there's, a, there's a, a visitation that is spoken of throughout the Old Testament pointing to a promise. The best visitation. 
the best visitation with the longest results, with the best ramifications, the most glorious fulfillment. Take a look at Isaiah 7 just for a moment. If you've sent out Christmas cards, you may have had Isaiah 7 on one of your Christmas cards. Isaiah 7 is obviously a passage of Scripture that comes to our attention during this season. God's making a promise ultimately to His people. In verse 14 of Isaiah 7, God's Word says, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Now we know, we already read this at the very start of our service, Matthew chapter 1, that Emmanuel means what? God with us. God with us. And so the, the, the promise that all of God's people were waiting on for many, many years comes to its ultimate fulfillment in the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, and his name, Jesus, which means he will save his people from their sin. But one of his other names is Emmanuel, God with us. He came that day many years ago. Now God has always dwelt with his people because God is omnipresent, right? And God dwelt with his people in very specific ways, of course, through the tabernacle, right? The Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies, and then into the temple. But when we come to the Gospels, and we come to the end of that Old Testament era, and we see the beginning of a New Testament era, and it's all divided by what? The, the coming, the birth of Jesus Christ. And He, he came that, that day, and He remains with us. Now, Remember, after his death, burial, and his resurrection, he ascended up on high, right? And he sits at the right hand of the Father. But remember, he said, I'm going to send another comforter. And that comforter is with us. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. God visited his people, and he visited his people with salvation. We, we read it in Matthew chapter 1. We're not going to go back there again. We read it at the beginning of our time. The key verses, the key statements... You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. This is God's visitation to us. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus, when he took on flesh, he did this to taste death for everyone. And when he tasted death, he didn't take a nibble of it. He fully experienced it. All you have to do is read the Gospel accounts of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus as they first beat Him and then they crucified Him and He hung. He hung bloodied and naked on a, on a cross. And it's obvious as you read those accounts of the torture, the torment, the punishment that He endured. And as you consider the transaction, the heavenly transaction that took place as the skies were black as night, and God poured upon the Lord Jesus His wrath. Why? 
Because God made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Why did He do that? In order that people like us might be made the righteousness of God through Him. Jesus fully tasted death. This visitation, in this visitation, God provided our deepest need. He provided this deepest need by sending His Son to deal with our sin. He has provided the opportunity for eternal salvation to everyone who sees their sin and calls upon the name of the Lord. You know, friends, I'll never forget the day that I realized for the first time that Jesus died and suffered in my place. I went to a Word of Life passion play and I saw it depicted. Actors they were. On the stage they be. There they were doing their thing. And in that moment, God's Spirit was pointing out to me, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And Jesus willingly suffered in your place. He provided the opportunity for forgiveness of sin and eternal life. God provided that opportunity. I remember, I remember uh, churning and, and quaking in my seat. I wanted to respond. We were in a large auditorium. It was, it was down in Providence at some, some theater facility. I can't remember what it was. But I, I just felt intimidated. I was a young boy. And the guy next to me, I'll never forget, Greg Doucette, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you want to go down? Yes. And I made this long walk down, finally got down to the front. Someone sat with me, talked to me about the Lord Jesus, filled out a decision card. I don't know what, what happens with the decision card. The decision card doesn't make anything official. Um, just letting you know, hey, listen, you, Jesus provided, provided for your sin. Jesus provided for your eternal salvation. I'll never forget that. How about you? Has, has God visited on your behalf? Jesus came, he broke into the midst of history. And in that visitation, He provided for the opportunity for salvation. This majestic God who created everything cares for us. He provides the possibility for our salvation. And in that, He also provides His presence. Our God dwells with us. Back to Psalm 8, please, if you would. Psalm 8, we're just about at the end of our meditation this morning, our study. In the first three verses, God's creative work. In verse 4, we see God's care for us, His thoughtfulness for us. We see at the end of verse 4, God's provision for us, His visiting of us. And then He gives us responsibility in verses 5-8. through eight. But with that, with that responsibility, we're going to read it in just a moment, God has provided for our ability to accomplish that responsibility. Verse 5. Yet you have made him, man, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him, man, with glory and honor. You have given him, man, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along 
the paths of the seas. Now let's talk, stop here for a minute and just meditate on this. You are potentially and probably familiar with the fact that this is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. And there, when God is talking about it, He makes reference to the Lord Jesus. He's talking about the, uh, the Lord Jesus being superior in His humanity to angelic beings. And what He says is, the angelic beings are not um, going to be lording over the world to come. But Jesus is to be lording over the world to come. He has sovereignty over that, that world to come. God has made man a little lower than the angels for the, um, and then he specifically applies it to Christ there. And he says, and Christ has been made a little lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering death that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And then it talks about how he brings people to God and sanctifies them. In Psalm 8, he is not talking about the Son of Man as a reference to the Lord Jesus, but mankind in their original design as when God created Adam and Eve without sin. They had uh, the pure, perfect image of God stamped upon them. God has entrusted to mankind the administration of His kingdom on the earth. He did not put the giraffes in charge of mankind. He didn't put the monkeys in charge of God, His creative order. He put man. Man, man and women, man and woman. God's people. He's put us in charge of His creative order to exercise His dominion. We've been made in the image of God. We learn over the course of biblical history that in that entrustment over His creation, God has provided us with His own presence. He didn't leave us alone to, to exercise this dominion, but instead, He would dwell with mankind, enabling us to flourish in this mission. To really do well in this mission. As we live our lives, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we live our lives, empowered by God's Spirit, God enables us in this day, right now, year 2020, soon to be 2021, God enables us to reflect His character and His image among all of His creation. And He does this by placing His Spirit in us. God's Spirit enables us to reflect God's character. We've already mentioned Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 that Jesus' name shall be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. When Jesus ascended, He sent His Spirit just a few days later. He sent His Spirit to dwell within us. And as we looked at last week, and as you're familiar with, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of God. God's character and God's nature through God's person, dwells within us. And you and I have the privilege of telling our neighbors, showing our neighbors, what, what true, truly God's creation is supposed to be like. We get caught up, right, with everything that goes on, and we can be just as selfish as the next guy. We can be just as ornery as the next girl, right? Right? Oh, you 
You threw your snow on my side of the property line. You blew your leaves on my side of the property line. You get all upset, get all bent out of shape. Or what we can do is, is show people something different. Show something different. Demonstrate the character of God, the love and joy and peace that come from the Lord Jesus. This is what we need. This is what God has given us in His presence. God hasn't left us to do these things alone. With knowledge of God's powerful creation, with knowledge of His care for us that results in His provision of salvation, and knowing that He dwells with us, how can we not respond the same way that David does in Psalm nine? Excuse me, Psalm eight, verse nine says, "O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth." This is our response to all that God has done, all that God has made, God's thoughtfulness for us, His care and provision for us, and His dwelling with us to accomplish His will. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. God sent His Son into the world to save sinners. Do you know that God will send His Son again? Do you know that's coming? That day is coming. The next time He comes, He's not going to come to pay for our sin. He's already dealt with that. God is going to come, Jesus is going to come, and He's going to bring about the consummation of all the ages. He's going to bring about the the fulfillment of God's plan for all the ages. This is happening. It'll be God's glorious, perfect, and eternal kingdom. It'll be established. Are you ready for that visit? Are you ready for that visit? You see, what Jesus accomplished at His first visit prepares us to be ready for the second visit. What did He do at His first visit? He came He came to provide for us salvation from our sin and eternal life. If you have received from God that gift of forgiveness and that gift of eternal life, that means you're prepared for His second visit. If you have not prepared yourself, if you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have not received that forgiveness of sin, I might suggest to you, I might uh, call to you to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus today. Ask Him to apply His forgiveness to you. Ask Him to give you eternal salvation. I wonder if He'll do it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's true for you. It's true for me. It's true for your children. It's true for my children. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There may be some surprise visits between now and the end of your life, but no visit is better than the visit from our almighty, caring, saving, ever-present God. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for all You've provided for us. Thank You that You care for us and remember us. You think about us. You provide for us. We are amazed at You. We are thankful for Your gift of salvation. Father, do Your work in us. We want to reflect You in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, wherever we go. We want people to see that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real, 
and that we are living for a different kingdom. Work in us and through us for your glory that our neighbors would know that your visitation could also provide for them eternal salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.